we've been on this series entitled Disciples. We're taking a look at the Word of God and what it has to say in regards to um, being a disciple of Jesus. And we've been differentiating between being called a Christian and being a disciple because nowadays you can do whatever you want and still be called a Christian. But Jesus gives us these like really clear things that are for disciples and disciples only, right? To be a disciple at a base elementary level means to be disciplined and to be learned in the teachings of someone. The someone, of course, is Jesus, right? To be learned and disciplined in the teachings of Christ and to be able to, as a believer, walk in that in Jesus' name. Amen. We started a couple of weeks ago on the three marks of a disciple, coming after Jesus, denying yourself and picking up your cross. And the last week we talked about how, and some of you should say amen to this, how being saved is a lifelong transformation every day to be continued process. And I say, say amen because some of you have proven that, that it takes a while for some things to shift and change in our lives, myself included. Got some quirks that God is still working out, amen? But we pick up our series this week on John 13, verse 34 and 35. I'm going to read it, and then we'll pray, and we'll jump into this, amen? Amen. I'm reading from the ESV version of the Bible, and it says this. (laughs) Thank you, Jay. A new commandment, somebody say, a new one, I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Jesus, only your word spoken with your spirit can be able to mark our hearts and be able to bring truth to us. And we ask you right now in Jesus' mighty name, we ask you, Father, that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to understand, that we would be able to know more and more every day what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We have one goal this year, Jesus, it's to take our church and to make it look more and more like you. And so today, open our hearts to be able to hear your word, Jesus, even in the parts where it might hurt, and to receive it and to ask you, Lord, to help us to look more like you. In Jesus' name, when the whole church says, every culture has their I would say distinguishing features that makes that culture unique to other cultures. Me being from a Puerto Rican descent, I have some things about me and about our family and about our households that are strictly Puerto Rican. Some of these things might be stereotypical of us and some of them might sound like they're stereotypes, but if you are from a certain race, you know you, your people do things a certain way that other folks would just be like, what are you doing? But for you, it's very normal. Like for me, the other day, my daughter says to me, Daddy, like, she's crying. Why are you mad at me? I'm like, I'm not mad. I'm just loud. I'm, I'm, I'm not mad at all. I'm just loud. I'll try to talk lower because if anybody knows anything about Puerto Ricans, we are some loud people. Yeah, some of you should stop saying amen so loud if you're not Puerto Rican. I'm just kidding. But, but we all have this, like, Puerto Ricans. You go to a Puerto Rican party, it's just loud for no reason. Absolutely no reason. Get a few of us in the room, and you'll think we're fighting. But we're just loud. And it seems like, I could be wrong, the older you are, the louder you get. For inexplicably no reason. Puerto Ricans have like a couple of key features. Number one, uh, we cook almost everything with sofrito and adobo. Now, I stated this in the last service. If you are Puerto Rican and you don't cook at all with sofrito... Please send me your Puerto Rican card to 857 Howard Avenue. You need to, if you don't have at least two types of adobo in your house, I'm going to question you. 
You need the blue cap and the red cap, the yellow cap, we'll pass on. You need sasson in your house, but your chicken should not be orange. Bless God. Puerto Ricans, we do certain types of things. Like Puerto Rican mothers think that Vicks can heal the world. When I was a kid, my mom, no matter what I had, had a flu, had pneumonia, had a fever, no matter what it was, had a backache. Come here, I got some Vicks, puppy. Mom, Vicks ain't gonna do nothing. The whole house smelled like Vicks. The couch smelled like Vicks. Everything just smelled like Vicks. I was at the barbershop yesterday, and this, this guy was like, I went to my mom's house, and her whole face was shiny, and her chest was shiny. I'm like, Mom, what, what's all that stuff? She's like, Nana's Vicks. I'm not catching corona. <laughs> to a Puerto Rican mom, I'm telling you, dip the whole earth in Vicks, we're going to be fine. If it's not Vicks, it's alcoholado. Just pour it on anything, and you're going to be fine. We have certain features, right? Puerto Ricans, they have an obsession with chanclas. I don't know if it's just Puerto Ricans that take off the shoe and start beating you with it. And if your parents were creative, it would be anything that was within graphs they would hit you with. Other coaches do timeouts, not Puerto Ricans. We don't do much timeouts. We used to do, get that butt over here, I'm going to beat you. And so my father used to spare the rod, spoil the child. That was the first Bible verse I learned. Why are you doing this, Dad? Spare the rod, you spoil the child. But every, like, every Puerto Rican, like, you, most of you, if you're really... I'm going to really test your Puerto Rican-ness right now. Uh, if you're cleaning the house, you have to play some kind of Hispanic salsa type of music. If you don't play that, I'm going to question whether your house is really clean or not. It's just Puerto Ricans have certain things we do. And, the, and then like, it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing as long as the woman of the house is cleaning. Apparently, it means, earmuffs, honey, it means that you can put the music as loud as you want. It doesn't matter what nobody else is doing. It's a Puerto Rican thing. Now, your culture might have some things. There's things that Puerto Ricans don't do. Most Puerto Ricans don't do stuff like, you know, follow wild animals into the wild. I want to live longer. I'm not saying who does it. We don't do that. Most of us, we're not going to go bungee jumping. The majority of us, some of you who lived in Milford for a little while, you might want to go skydiving and stuff because you're confused. We don't, most of us, we're just like, if the plane's not going down, Louie ain't going down. Not bungee jumping, not base jumping, not, not doing parkour on the top of a hundred-story building. Not doing it. Not doing it. Puerto Ricans like stuff like, you know, you, I can tell you're a real Puerto Rican if you have chickens in your backyard. You got, a, you got a farm in your backyard. Some of our members have farms in their backyard. They have like, you know, they're trying to grow stuff and they're trying to grow stuff that doesn't even belong in our environment in Connecticut because they're from the island. They're trying to grow everything. And it's like they're bringing stuff to church and it's like, here, I got these tomatoes. I got this basil. I got this culantro, this recao. Here you go. Take all this stuff. I'm, what? How'd you grow this? It's not even meant for you. I got a coconut tree in my back, man. Eh? Like, what? Like, how did you grow pana here? Where'd you get these kidnappers from? Come on. Every culture got their thing. Your culture might have your thing. You're probably running through the roller decks of things that y'all do that I won't mention. But y'all got your things too. You know, Jesus says that every disciple has a distinguishing feature too. He says, if you can't do this thing, you're not going to be one of my people. Surprisingly, it's not about what church you go to. Surprisingly, it's not about how much Bible you know. 
Ironically, it's not even about your spiritual giftings, how well you pray for people, how well you are in public features. It's none of that. Crazily, it's nothing to do with your giftings, right? It's nothing to do with what, is, um, what you do with your life in terms of just your works and things like that. It's none of that. He doesn't say, hey, they're going to know you're my disciples if you go to Citywide or if Pastor Lewis is your pastor. All those certain churches have certain types of vibes and certain types of cultures. He doesn't say that that's what's going to make you known to be a disciple of Jesus. As a matter of fact, he kind of raises the bar and says, the distinguishing factor of if you're one of my peoples or not is going to be love in your life. It's going to be how you love one another. And the crazy thing is that most of the world doesn't know some of you are Christians because you don't have the love that Jesus commands us to have. John 17, excuse me, 13 through 17 are some of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible because it's in the time of the Last Supper up to the point where Jesus is arrested and he is led to the cross thereafter. And so those are to me, if you're on your deathbed, you're telling people the most, you know, you're about to die and you know it, you're gonna tell people the most important stuff in that last final conversation. And so everything Jesus says in that conversation to me has so much weight behind it. It has so much just heaviness and you can almost feel like the, the atmosphere of the room where, where in 13 Judas is still there and then by 14 Judas is left because he's gonna go betray Jesus and all this stuff is happening. But in John 13 to 17, in, in chapter 13 in specifics, Jesus gives and he lays out the distinguishing factor of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And ironically, it's none of the things that I mentioned before. It's this new commandment to love and then to love like Jesus loves. I want to talk to you for a few minutes on distinguishing disciples. How to know, y'all, how to know really and truthfully in your heart if I am walking as a follower of Jesus. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus gives this, somebody say, new command. In order to have a level of value for the new command, you've got to understand the old command that was top-notch and the old command that was top-notch, number one, numero uno, above all things, was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And the second commandment was like it, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Then Jesus blows our minds in the Gospels and says, hey, do those two commandments and the rest of it is hinged. The whole Old Testament, all the law and the prophets is hinged on those two things. Love God, love people. But then Jesus says to his disciples right before his death, hey, I'm going to give you a new commandment. A new one to put as number one in your life, right? This new commandment is that we as believers, right, should love one another. In the Great Commission, Matthew 28, Jesus gives us, right, this, this commandment. He says, I command you to teach other disciples to obey all that I have commanded you. And ironically, the only commandment Jesus gives us recorded in Scripture as a command is this command to love one another as Jesus has loved us. And this is, like, that's a big deal. This new command to love, it's, it's supposed to be the number one thing that people will be able to say, that must be a Christ follower because of the way they love other people. Now, while this may seem simple and elementary, many of you in your heart of hearts know that this is a great challenge in our lives, to be able to love people. And here's why, because this world is marred by sin and where there are challenges all around us, people hurt us, we live in hurt, right? It becomes difficult to truly understand this call to love. And Jesus he gives us this call. He expects us, and he gives clear definition. He leaves no room for interpretation. He says, love like I love, and that's the bottom line. 
Love like I love. When it comes to loving people, I think that many disciples are Christ followers. That's us. That's you. That's me. We get it wrong here. Now, I don't think that we intentionally want to get it wrong. We don't wake up saying, well, I'm not going to love nobody today. I'm going to be a hateful jerk today. I think that little by little, the, the, the effects of life mar our capacity to love. Hurts, right? The way people have treated us, the way we've been abused. We might not be able to love people the way that Jesus has called us to love people. Quite often, we base our love for other people based on how they love us or even how others have loved us. Because you can only sometimes love people based on what you've experienced from love. The problem with this is that Jesus doesn't say, hey, love them like somebody who loved you. He says, love them like I loved you. When I am called to love like Jesus has commanded me to love based on his love, it changes the ball game, y'all. Now, this love that Jesus uses, this word is the Greek word. Some of you might have heard it if you've been in church and you're churchy. It's agape. Agape is like this selfless, sacrificial kind of love that is without limits. It's without condition. And it's literally unconditional type of love. It's this constant in every season kind of love. And the love of God is great because in some seasons, it's an anchor. And it keeps you anchored through all the storms. In other seasons, it's a sail where it helps you to fly into the new places and things that God is challenging you to do. We love, right, with our limits sometimes, though, and not the limits of Jesus. And our limits are usually based on what level of offenses we're willing to deal with, what level of hurt we're willing to actually overlook, and what level of redemption we're willing to give to other people. And so when we draw those lines in the sand, I can't love beyond this place, it's a challenge to who Jesus says we are, and we're looking more like Christians rather than disciples. Notice this. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to distinguish you from other people based on how you love the world and the unsaved. I'm going to judge you based on and disciple you, rather, and distinguish you as disciples based on how you love people in the church. That's, yo, I'm just, this is the word of God. He doesn't say, because some of us, we find it easy to love the homeless and the lost. But you can't love people two rows from you because so-and-so offended you. And you're walking in this place of pain and and they're unaware of it because you haven't talked about it. But you're living at this place of like, yo, I I just want to love, but I'm hurt so I can't love. And so the, the key here is this, the real issue is this, is am I first living in the love? I got to live in this love that God gives me. I got to live in this love that Jesus has poured on me. How much does God love me then? How do I know how much God loves me? Here's point number one. If you're new here, we preach with three points. Here's point number one, right? Before I give love, I must live loved. Yo, if I can't live in the love, how am I ever going to give the love? If I can't first receive it, how am I going to give it? And then that begs the question, well, then how much does God love me so that I can live in this love? Well, John 15, 9 kind of, disciples, kind of tells us as disciples how much God loves us. Now, the best way to interpret the Bible is always the Bible. It's not your favorite Christian author. The scripture is always the best means by which to interpret itself. And so we look further on in the same conversation, and Jesus says this in John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, I love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. He says, I love you, right? This is mind-boggling to think about how much Jesus loves me. I love you the way my Father has loved me. 
Now, Jesus is, is fully God, fully man. Big theological word, hypostatic union, right? Fully God, fully man. That's Jesus. The Father is, is God himself. Jesus is the second person of the triune nature of God. And so Jesus is God. The Father is God. Here's what Jesus is saying. I love you the way God loves God. For all of eternity past, before there was ever an earth and the, and the natural world as we know it, the Trinity loved each other in perfect harmony. The Father loving the Son and the Spirit. The Son loving the Spirit and the Father. And the Spirit loving the Father and the Son. For all of it. Never had an argument. Never had an issue. And, and, and Jesus says, I've taken that love that my Father has lavished on me, and I have lavished it on you. And now I am tasking you, this is troublesome, y'all, to love one another in that wild kind of love. And then to abide in my love, he says, here's how I remained in my dad's love while I was on earth. I just did what he told me to do. This is real simple. I just did what he told me to do. Now, you know that sometimes doing what God told you to do ain't easy. That was a real good place to be like, amen. Somebody on the, on the comment section online, amen it to death. Because it ain't easy to always do what God says because usually God wants to challenge us with what he says. Amen. Before I give love, I must live love. And we have to live in this love. I'm spending extra time on this point today because if we don't get this first part, it, the rest is useless as disciples of Christ. My goal for our church this year is to look more like Jesus than we ever have before. But the problem is that this generation has experienced so much brokenness and pain and so much issues and so much hurt, so many broken households, so many broken families, so many fathers leaving their children, so many mothers doing it with a rough heart because they're so stressed out because they're playing mommy and daddy. And there's so many people who have walked around with hurt in their heart and it's not normal. Then put that aside. Put, a, put aside the fact that the family unit is literally under demonic attack in our nation and across the world. And the reason is simple. It's because the family unit mirrors the Trinity, the perfect unity of the Father. And, and the enemy will do anything to mar the image of the Father in our lives. The first image of God in human form we ever see is our dad. It's supposed to be the nature of God coming from a man. And so a father wound is when a father falls short of the glory of God in the life of their child. And the enemy has come against that like crazy. But then forget that. In the last five years, our country has grown into such a chasm, such a divide politically. And it is not even a normal hatred happening in our nation. It is a supernatural hatred that we see between many people on left or right, Republican or Democrat, middle, indifferent. I don't care where you stand. There is a supernatural hate that we see in our nation. Y'all, this ain't normal. We all know it, but we still engage in the hatred. There's a supernatural hatred happening, and the church is standing by picking sides of who we're going to hate and who we're going to love. The love that sent Jesus to the cross wasn't about my political affiliation. To abide in the love of Jesus means that I have to give the love that's been given, but in order to give it, I must live it. And this is a love that's received, not achieved. It's a love that is learned, not earned, right? It's a love that is without limits. It's not a love I have to work for or accomplish. It's just given to me. The Father's love has been lavished on me. It's a love that covers the wounds of abandonment, the wounds of rejection that you face in your life. It's that kind of love. It's the love that covers the sins that people have committed against you because the Bible says love 
loves covers a multitude of sins. And we look at that and say, it covers the multitude of my sins, but it should also cover the sins that people have put against you. We must abide in that love, this deep place, this wide, expansive expression of God's love. We cannot love the way we want. We have to love the way he wants. God's love is one of those shared attributes of God. God has a number of attributes, some of them shared, some of them not. Shared means he gives it to us. Some of the ones he hasn't shared, you're not omnipotent. You're not, you know, everywhere at once, omnipresent. You you don't know all things, even though some of us act like we do, myself included at times. You don't know everything. But one of the attributes that he shared with us is his love, the capacity and the ability to love. And I can never, ever love perfectly without doing it from the place of walking in Christ. The only reason I love is because I've first been loved. 1 John 4, 19, because he has loved us, right? Because he is, we love because he first loved us. Here's a crazy thought, but it's the truth. Every ounce of love you got, I love my kids, like right or die for my kids. You know, threaten my kids and know all bets are off. I'm telling you, every parent knows what I'm talking about. But all of that love I have for my children is only borrowed from God. It's literally, it's God's love in me flowing from me. I can only love by living in the love that he has given me. And Jesus says, if you do this, you're going to be distinguished from the rest of the world. But I must first live and receive that love and be in that love. I have to receive that I'm accepted. You're accepted. You are loved by God. You are not rejected by your heavenly father. You are loved with this ferocious kind of protective, zealous love that maybe you never experienced from man. But God says, I love you with this undying, everlasting love. You are the apple of my eye. You make the father happy. You are the delight of the father. He takes great joy in you. His love stretches for you from eternity past to eternity present. Like he just loves you. You are loved. Look at somebody next to something. God loves you. Live in that love, y'all. Receive that love. Receive the redemption and the forgiveness of your sins. Stop living under shame and condemnation. The world says shame on you when you mess up, but God says shame off of you. Your greatest mistakes are your memories, but God doesn't even remember them because he's cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. You're living under this blanket and this cloud of shame, and God has no idea what's going on because he's done forgotten it. Live in the love of redemption. Live in that love. God is neither angry nor mad at you for your last mistake. He's intently watching you to be able to pick yourself up and guide you by his love. He's rescued you from sin and darkness. He will forever abide you. He won't leave you nor forsake you. Live in this exciting love. He's gone ahead of you to prepare a place for you in his father's house, the Bible says. You are wanted. They're waiting for you, living in expectation and intercession for your arrival in the kingdom of God. The way God loves Jesus, Jesus loves us. The way God loves God, God loves me. So I abide in this love. Ephesians 3, 17 to 21 from the Passion Translation says, then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside of you and the resting place of his love will become the very source and the root of your life. Then you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all of his dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. How enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours 
into you until you are filled with the overflowing, with the fullness of God. I'm telling you, it's a deep kind of love that God loves you with. I got to learn to live in this love. This command is no joke, y'all. This is for all the marbles. Like, this is for everything. This is it. We will be distinguished by our love, not our doctrine, right? Not our spiritual experiences. It's by our love. And then from that deep place of love, we can be able to love others. Here's point number two. The deeper I live in love, the greater I can give this love. The deeper I live in this love, the more I receive it. Because we're good at receiving the redemption of God, but we never want to redeem others. Throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't redeem others. Don't forgive them. Don't walk with them. But I'll receive it for me. I'll say the sinner's prayer every other Sunday when I mess up. I'll repent of my sins and I'll be good. I'm good, but I'm not going to extend that to others. I don't know. When you've lived such a life where you've been forgiven, it makes me want to forgive others. That's why it's important for us to live in God's love, church. Beloved, when we do this, it, it, it gives us something to offer others. Have you ever had an experience that kind of just like is the, the, the watermark, the high mark of what you will gauge every other experience by? I was in Estero, Florida a number of years ago, and I, I was with my investor. He's one of my closest friends. I was visiting him before I went to a conference in Orlando, and uh, he says to me, hey, um, let's go out to dinner. And he's like, dinner's on me. And I'm like, oh, bro, I, I can pay for my dinner. It's totally good. He's like, oh, no, 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 dinner's on me. And when I got to the restaurant, praise God, it was extremely expensive. So I was so excited that dinner was on him. <laughs> a la carte menu, everything like 85 or more. Like most steaks were 100 bucks minimum. And so I was just like, oh, praise God you're paying for this, bro. This is great. And uh, I looked at the menu. I said, what we getting? He exposed me to something new. He said, this steak right here. He's a big foodie. My buddy is a foodie. And it was a Wagyu 32-ounce tomahawk steak. Now, if you don't know what Wagyu is, I didn't know at that point either, so don't worry about it. Just a kid from the inner city. It just didn't know anything. And it's like this like, legendary kind of Japanese beef that is the best of the best in the world. It is extremely expensive, and for me to have that steak was ridiculous. Just a kid from the inner city with a Wagyu 32-ounce tomahawk steak. Man, when that thing came out, didn't even need a knife. So tender, so perfect. It was just like Jesus' love. Perfect. But now every time I eat steak, I think about the sterile floor to Jimmy's. 32-ounce Wagyu tomahawk steak. I'm like, eh, it's good, but it's not this. Yeah, Morton's was good, but it's not that. Last night, I went to Brickwalk Tavern with my wife on a date because you got to keep on dating your wife. I love you, boo-boo. And she got a New York strip, and I was like, yeah, it's good. And back of my head, though, it's not Wagyu. It's not this, because that's the, 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 the high mark, right? You know, when we love people, we should only do it from that high mark. The love I've been given and I live in is the love that I should be giving. We cannot, as Christians, be okay with receiving more than we're giving from God. We cannot, in this age of supernatural hate, y'all, we cannot walk and nurture hatred and offenses and nurture all of our, our inner grudges and, and pray for people on the basis of, Lord, you better help my wife see that she's wrong. God's like, 
sometimes. He's like, Lewis, you're part of the problem. <laughs> Most of the time, he's like, I'm on it. I got her covered. Don't worry about it. Going to your house right now. I'm just kidding. That does not happen. I'm just kidding. Right? But I'm like, I have to change my prayer because I'm like, we don't want to pray for other people with discontent in our spirit. Like, Lord, pray for Danny because she got it all wrong. Open her eyes. And God's like, well, why don't you ask me to show me you, rather, her heart and where you can do better. And show me your heart for Carlos and show me your heart for Rich and for all these different, show me your, it's so easy to get offended at other people. It's so easy to be redeemed. Like I'm redeemed, saved, sanctified with the Holy Ghost. But who else are you willing to redeem with your love? You know, the Bible says in John 13 too, that whoever sins you forgive, they will be forgiven. That's a real kind of, people like, wait, what? I have the, I have the capacity to forgive people's sins? Yeah. When they transgress against you, you can forgive them, and they're forgiven. Are you doing that to be able to love people, y'all? Are you hearing me today? Now, since, like, I've had that experience with, with, with steak, this is the watermark. It's the high. From my love in Christ, I got to love from that place. Right? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, that you are also to love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. How has Jesus loved me then? That's the question I have to ask myself. That's the question you have to ask yourself. How has Jesus loved you? Well, for me, he's forgiven all of my transgressions. So I must forgive all who transgress against me. I can't hold grudges. I can't hold these, these bad things and nurture them in my heart. I can't nurture discontent towards other people. If you're married, you know what I'm talking about. You gotta go home to that spouse. You know what I'm talking about. You can either go in the house and have tension or just take the high road and be like, hey, listen, you know what? Let's figure this out. I'm sorry. Where can we get through this? Because I'm tired of being in the same place. Let's not fight about the same stuff. I want to fight about something new. <laughs> I want to have a new argument with you, boo-boo. Let's go. Let's get over this. I don't want to nurture bad feelings towards my spouse. But when we're out of the will of God... We're doing stuff just like that. We harbor it. And, and the next argument, we throw it all at them. We just verbally diarrhea all over them. But you said you forgave me last time. Did you or did you not? Well, you did the same thing. Well, why do you remember? <laughs> Love keeps no record of wrongdoing. You know how many people come up to me all the time? It probably happens to you too. You know, they come up to you. Hey, you know, I want to let you know. I was angry at you for so many months. And I'm just like, oh, well, let's just get through it. Because I... I was sleeping fine. I haven't been sleeping. I haven't this. And I've told this. In the, it happens to me at least every couple of months. And I'm like, hey, listen, I, praise God. But like, hey, I'll do better on my part. You do better on your part. I, I'm totally cool because I want to just love people the way God loves me. I want to sh- extend that love to other people. How did Jesus love me? At my lowest, he loved me. When I wasn't that lovable, he loved me. Right? He received me even when I wasn't acceptable. He loved me. He loved me even when he knew I would backstab him and betray him. He loved me. The dude loved Judas even though he knew Judas would betray him. Can I still love people who I think will stab me in the back? Or will I only love people who I think can do something for my life? And if I only love them on the basis of doing something for my life, that's a weak kind of love because I'm loving people with conditions. Unconditional love means I will love you even if you can't do anything for me. And some of you are saying, yeah, that's why I feed the homeless. I do all these things. You do that to feel good about yourself. Do you do it because you love them? 
Because you love the least of these. Because you love them. Or do you love people to feel good? Now, I want to love people because God loves them and because God loves me. And as a Christian, our only job is to love people and see them as God sees them, not through their failures or mistakes. And most of y'all know that. For some of you who are close to me, you know I will constantly text you, hey, me and Jesenia, we love you. Like, we're so proud of you. Like, I'll go above and beyond, especially some of the younger people, to really encourage them. We love you. God's with you. There's a calling on your life. It's going to be amazing. Why? Because the deeper you live in the love, the deeper you can give that love. And I remember when nobody spoke life into me. I remember when there was not one person to say, hey, you're going to do this. God's going to have your back. It was just me and God, and I had no idea if I was going to make it. But I want to be that voice for others. I want to do that for them, right? And, and loving like this is beyond logic. And here's the thing. Jesus doesn't tell me to love with logic. He doesn't to love with love. Yeah, so good. I don't need to love with it. It makes no sense to love people who hurt you. Jesus even said, love your enemies. What? And when I said enemies, some of you thought of people. That's also a problem. Because we don't have enemies in the kingdom except demonic spirits and the devil himself. People are not our enemy. If you still got people you hate, that's an issue. If you don't allow people to, to heal from the issues of your life and you got this discontent in you over them, that's an issue. The Bible says it commands us to love one another. People will be able to know the depth of God's work in you depending on the depth of your love towards them, y'all. It's been in my experience over my, t- my tenure as a pastor to see that people who have had the worst kind of wild lives, uh, people who are completely in alcoholism, drug addicts, and wild living, who come to God and radically are saved, they are the most loving people in the world because they know how much God has saved them from. But when you grew up in church and you were just in and out a little bit and you were sinning, but you weren't that bad because you went to church still, sometimes we have this level of not being able to love people because we feel like we deserve this love. And God's like, no, 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 yo, listen, there's a deeper kind of love. If you have unforgiveness, that's not Jesus. If you have hatred in your heart, that's not Christ. If you're divided by politics and you hate some Republicans or you hate some Democrats and you can't stand Trump supporters or you can't stand Joe Biden supporters, I'm telling you, that's not Jesus. If you're one of those ones who be on social media flinging it all around, that's not God. That's not becoming of a, of a Christian. And I'm telling you right here, right now, you are in error and you need to repent because you can't love like Jesus loves if you are putting other things above Jesus. That's not comfortable for some people. I want to tell you something. Because the Bible says otherwise, I don't care. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says because i rather, I rather not tickle your, your flesh and make you feel good on the outside, but then not warn your soul of what you're doing wrong. I care about your soul. So I'd rather have you be mad right now, but make it to heaven, than to miss the mark because you couldn't love people. That's, that's, the, that's the gospel. It's offensive. We got to love people like crazy. People will be able to know that's a, that's a believer by their love. Do people at work know you're a Christian by how you love them? Are you, are you the jerk at work? Are you the one who you need till 12 o'clock to get right? Some of y'all, I'll just disclaimer here. I'm running out of time, but disclaimer here. Stop playing Christian music at work if you're going to act reckless and like hell. Don't put your soaking music in your little cubicle if you're still going to cuss people out. Yo, just let your love speak for you. And let God be true in your life. 
You with me? All right, all right. I'm closing with this, John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know, distinguishing disciples, right, that you are my disciples if you have a love for one another. Right, Puerto Ricans, adobo, disciples, love. I wish I had a witness there. There's this love you have to have for one another. As a follower of Jesus, the only thing that will make that difference, y'all, is this love in our life. The old commandment was love God, and that's still good. We love God, but now we're supposed to love one another with the heart of God and loving God in them, loving people in the image of God. For many here, it's not the easiest thing to love, and it's not because you don't want to. It's because the history of hurt in your life has held you back from healing and giving the love that God is calling you to give. Here's point number three, and I'll close with this. The call to love is a command, not a suggestion. Jesus lays this out as something that's non-negotiable. As a follower of Christ, I got to love. Look across our country at the hate gripping each other. And I'm telling you that the love of many has grown cold. We are living in the words of Jesus that in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. We can actually counter that with supernatural Holy Ghost filled love. Where in the society today, we're supposed to not love people who don't vote like us, don't look like us, don't believe like us, don't speak like us. And the list goes on. But Jesus says love. Besides everything else, just love. Love people who hurt you. Love people who might not look trustful. Love people who might do wrong to you. Just love them. The call for us is to radically love. To every person here whose capacity to love is hindered by the history of hurt in your life, we say it all the time, what you reveal, God will heal. Allow God to heal. Allow God to work. Allow God we as a church can set the example. I don't mean just us. I mean the body of Christ. Look around you. The world is watching. Look around you right now. Look in the sanctuary. There's blacks. There's Hispanics. There's white people. We're called to love interracial, to love everybody, to love beyond limits, to love beyond race, and to love beyond creed, and to love beyond politics. We're called to love. This is a command to love. But then to not love like I want to love. Because if it was up to me, I wouldn't love a lot of people. But it's not. It's up to Jesus. There's nothing else, absolutely nothing else that would differentiate us as sons and daughters of God but this love. And so I challenge you in 2021, how are you going to love radically? How are you going to take this love to the next level? How are you going to stop loving at your own limits and push it to the limits of Jesus? How are you going to love family who upset you? How are you going to love people who hurt you? What is your plan and strategy this year to say, Jesus, as you have loved me, as you have forgiven me, I, Jesus, I just want to forgive and redeem others and love them without limits for your glory. For the glory of the sake of the kingdom of God, yo, we need to, somebody say love. Come on, stand with me right now. We're called to love. Yeah. Now, maybe you're here today and loving isn't always easy. Maybe it's because a person who was supposed to be like Jesus, maybe a mom or a dad, right? They didn't reflect the cross the way that it should have been. And it didn't reflect the kingdom or God. I want to challenge you today. 
that there's healing for that, amen? And we're called to love. It's real easy. Tell somebody next to you, I, I love you. Hopefully it, was a, hopefully it was a person of the same sex, praise God. Hopefully, I should have thought about that a second ago. Let's try it again. Tell them I love you in the love of the Lord. You can come get this. That's, that's a little bit different, you know. <laughs> praise God. And praise it. Almost got in trouble there. Just, hey. I saw some guys like, hey, boo-boo, I love you. Like, whoa. Hey, no hormonal evangelism here. Praise God. Yo, but love, love is that easy. Because I've been loved. And the Lord set so many great examples for me. And my dad was the greatest. You know, that un- unconditional love. Once you have kids, that love they have for you. We're called to love like that. I want to challenge you and encourage you this year to ask the Lord to challenge you in every area of your love. Amen. Let, let's bow our heads as we're going to pray for a moment here. Father, we, we just ask you. Lord, we even ask you right now that you would just have your way in our hearts in 2021. This is a year, Lord, where we're just desiring as a body to be more like you in every capacity. And we want to shift our hearts to love like you. If there be issues in our hearts or or reasons why we're finding it hard to love individuals, God, would you forgive us? And would you give us the capacity to redeem them the way you've redeemed us with our love? We want to be distinguished as your sons, and your daughters and live and walk and function in this love that all the world may know that we are your disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, everyone says amen.